Welcome to the Bible study. It's good to be with you again, and thank you very much for tuning in with us. We really appreciate uh, when you are with us because uh, we are encouraged to keep doing these uh, Bible studies. And thank you for all those people who um, give us a good feedback and uh, appreciating uh, not that what we do, but sharing the Word of God. It's what we love to do. And um, thank you very much for being with us today. I would like to introduce our panel uh, before we start the Bible study, and I would like to say welcome to a new member of our panel today, and uh, that's uh, Janet. Janet, thank you very much for coming with us today for the Bible study. Thanks, Nick. Lovely to be here. I've got Helen here also. Helen, um, thank you again for making time. You are a permanent member of our panel. (laughs) (laughs) Part of the furniture, you think. (laughs) It's good to be here, Nick. Thank you. And thank you, Will, for um, preparing this uh, Bible study for today and facilitating this discussion. Uh, Will, thank you very much for uh, that. It's good to be here, Nick. Thank you. With no more comments, I would like to just pass it straight to you, uh, Will, and uh, take us through the study today. Thank you, Nick. I'd like to just review, if I may, what we studied last time. Just a few points. You'll recall that uh, there was a bit of contention Uh, right throughout uh, Christendom, the early Christendom, with regard to circumcision, whether circumcision was necessary to be saved. And, of course, that resulted in the Council of Jerusalem. And uh, after that, trusted representatives were sent out from all to all of the young churches to deliver a letter of explanation to the new believers to explain how this doctrine of grace impacted the traditional beliefs and practices of Judaism. Surprise to them to know that uh, circumcision was no longer necessary, uh, which they thought was part of the process for salvation. And so the Council of Jerusalem sends out uh, four specifically are mentioned, Barsabbas and Silas, and then Paul and Barnabas, uh, all these men chosen to accompany this letter, The letter was carried in person to confirm the content of uh, what the decisions were at uh, the Council of Jerusalem. And uh, these men were sent to actually bolster or confirm what that letter actually said and tell the congregations more on grace. And so Paul and Barnabas now, and our focus will be on them today, uh, end up in Antioch. And this is where we pick up the account this week. Of course, our main focus is on Acts chapter 16 and 17. If uh, anyone would like to turn uh, to those chapters, Acts 16 and 17. And uh, it would be good for us to go through these almost verse by verse because uh, we would like to find it in uh, chronological order. But before we start, let's uh, have a prayer together. And Helen, may I ask you to offer a prayer for us, please? Thank you. I'd love to. Our kind, loving Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that we can open your word today and know that you are here through the power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to to lead us and guide us, just as you did in the days of the apostles. Thank you for the um, study that we have today, the study that shows us um, very motivating, Lord, under extreme circumstances, how Paul and Barnabas, Silas, how they managed to keep going. I thank you, Father, for the, the study that we're going to do. I thank you, Lord, that we can learn through these many, many lessons. 
and I pray that you will bless each listener as they hear the words today, but may they hear your words in their heart. I pray through the precious loving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we proceed uh, every one part of this little Bible study today, we'll realize that there are life applications in most of the experiences that we will read about. But we find uh, Paul back in Antioch, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they're busy there nurturing the church, uh, teaching this young church, uh, and also uh, engaging them in uh, evangelistic work. We would think that it would be the last time that Paul and Barnabas would work together because of a sharp disagreement coming and uh, leading to their separation. Uh, perhaps I should ask the panel, what actually happened to prompt this split between Paul and Barnabas? A very normal, ordinary human thing. People having a difference of opinion, mm -hmm. and particularly over a personality, over Barnabas's nephew, Mark, actually. Mark had obviously deserted them on another journey halfway through, and Paul wasn't very impressed with that. And Barnabas wanted to give him another turn, I guess. I suppose that's why he was called a son of encouragement. And there was no way Paul was going to do it. It's interesting that it would appear that this was not a very good thing to happen. But in actual fact, it turned out to be a blessing because they were able to go. They took on other co-workers with them. And uh, it's a bit like networking, isn't it? They were able to reach a wider audience. I'm just interested that so early on in the Christian church, you've got leaders of the church arguing. And you think, this shouldn't be, you know, after Paul's experience on the Damascus Road, you think that he would be, you know, just never arguing with anybody. So it's mm -hmm. a bit of an encouragement, really, or a, a marker for us how to handle disagreements within the church, yes. because we will have them. And probably we think uh, that was a fight in between them, but uh, probably was more than rather... Uh, uh, disagreement and was uh, reasoning, if you like, and Paul brought up his uh, view of the thing, and you know, even God himself is calling us, come and reason with me. Because I, I believe in between Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the leaders uh, in the early church was a very good connection, a very strong connection, and it, they speak about each other with great respect. Even though they have disagreements, as we probably, if we go in the Bible, we know when even Peter is approaching, uh, Paul actually is approaching Peter, you know, over something which Peter did, you know. But after that, I, I could see in the Bible how each of them speak nicely about each other, you know. And I think that's a very important thing. That was not a fight and a hatred. It, uh, it was resolved in the end. Yes. But at, the, at this point, it was a sharp disagreement, and they had to agree to disagree, and yet they didn't stop doing the work of the Lord. They just said, all right, well, you go that way, I'll go this way. We'll carry on with our, with our main focus in life. I think you just mentioned something very important there, Jeanette, when you said they agreed to disagree. Mm. And sometimes we do get to that point, you know, with other people. We could be um, sharing something and they, they vehemently disagree with us. But there would have been no point to continuing as they were doing. And I think they made a very wise decision mm. to head off the other way but I yeah. found the way forward yes yeah, yeah very important I think that Paul's disagreement with Mark's uh, 
participating so with him is because, as you said, Helen, uh, Mark's failure in the past. It comes to mind that uh, and Mark was uh, a young man. He, um, I believe, we should give a person a second chance because later Paul would actually encourage Mark to be part of the great work. And so after the separation, Barnabas takes Mark to and goes to Cyprus, uh, Barnabas's homeland, and uh, inviting uh, Silas to join him, Paul goes through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. But before coming to Antioch the first time, Paul had uh, spent several years in Tarsus. Now he had the opportunity to revisit the congregations that he had established there, but God's plan for him was a lot different and much greater than Paul first conceived. So let's go to Acts chapter 16 and the biblical account of God's plan using Paul further in his work is expelled out here. Acts 16 starts off with an introduction to Timothy, young Timothy. So let's read Acts 16 verses 1 to 5. Jeanette, would you like to read that for us? Mm, I'd love to. I'm reading from the NIV, New International Version. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Who was this Timothy? What do we know about him? I think he was rather an in interesting character. His name, I believe, means honoured of God. And he, be he was a disciple. He was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed by the name of Eunice and a grandson of Lois. Interesting, isn't it, that to bring up a child um, in the knowledge of the Lord can be such a blessing. Yes. And I believe Timothy had that. However, his father was Greek. So I guess to the Jews, Timothy probably was known as like a half-breed and as low as the Samaritans, who they didn't really think much of. But he was a co-worker um, with Paul. Yes, he was young. I think I read somewhere that he was not more than 18 or 20. So he was young. And he knew the Old Testament from childhood. I'm told in 2 Timothy 1-4 that he was an emotional sort of a person. But he was also ready to face hardships and responsibilities in the strength of Christ. So he was a companion of Paul. He was a mixture, really, of many things. But I think it's interesting that Paul asked him to be circumcised. You know, he was brought up by a Jewish mother, so he could, in, in actual fact, be termed as a Jew, but he wasn't circumcised at the age of eight days, was he? No. Yeah, no. correct. And probably even before we go to look into that even a bit more more deeply. I would like to just say something that um, really impressed me with how Paul approached things, you know, and particularly in this case with Timothy, because this is a young, promising man of God, which the church had very good things to say about him. And Paul is taking him under his wings. This is again a role of discipleship. Mm 
And that's very important because as we experience our daily walk with God, we need to be aware and focusing of bringing other people, nurturing and help them mm. to grow in their uh, experience with God. And Paul, as a more experienced person, he used this so wisely, you know, and uh, he, how he's approaching Timothy, speaking about him. That was very, very nice. I, I like that. He, it, he was oh, his sorry. mentor, wasn't it? And it, it's actually brought out in the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy later on. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse... Five, it says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now also lives in you. So he was his mentor, but he had had a good beginning. And that's another thing that we can take from this, the, the power of, of parents who, and grandparents who love God and who can pass that on genuinely to their children. You know, they they can be a model to them. And Timothy had learned to love God through watching the model of his grandmother and his mother. Indeed. And now Paul was um, stepping in as that father that he hadn't had. And um, he he actually says to Timothy, my dear son, in the beginning of Second Timothy. So he'd taken on the father role and um, was nurturing him and growing him in the Lord. And, and it's so important for young men in our churches and young men anywhere who don't have a good father to have that mentor and that father role in someone who will take them under their wing. Yes, so true. I was just going to add, um, similar to what Jeanette just said, when Nick said that Paul took him under his wing, yes, he did say um, he called him my beloved son in 1 Corinthians 4.17 and he also said my own son in the faith so that was the connection wasn't it mm. that he took and I loved the way you said that he was a mentor can I just mention about the circumcision Will or did you want mm. to bring that in please do okay um, I believe that Paul wanted Timothy to be a co-worker but he didn't want him to be a stumbling block and I think it's interesting that Paul actually asked Timothy to be circumcised Mm. Especially seeing the Jerusalem Council had said that was not necessary. Yes. And they just finished telling everybody. <laughs> yes. Or actually they were going out to tell them and yeah. taking him with them on the way. Sort of tongue-in-cheek stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and is this uh, some sort of contradiction with Paul's view on circumcision? How do we see this? I think it must be situational ethics, do you think? Um, because, you know, they'd, they'd made this thing to make becoming Christians, the, the, the rule was to make it easy for the Gentiles to become Christians and to turn to God. But Paul also understood deeply the prejudices of the Jews, even from his own experience. And there is a text in the Bible that says, don't be a stumbling block to other people. And I think that's probably why Paul circumcised him. Yes. About but wasn't um, Timothy looked? Wasn't Timothy looked on as an uncircumcised Jew? Yes. And as an uncircumcised Jew, he would have been forbidden to enter the Jewish synagogues under the charge of apostasy. And it's interesting that wherever Paul went, that was the first place he used to go. And so Timothy would have been literally banned from doing that. So. 
I think that Paul's reason was very practical mm. and I don't think it was a contradiction to the gospel, being sensitive to the other people. Mm. Yeah, and um, the reason I said a bit earlier that we will come back on this and probably we can take the whole study just on this if we want, mm-hmm. but that's not the case for today. What I was impressed to think when I read these things again, that in the Bible we have some examples when... Uh, for example, Jesus himself came to the Jordan to be baptized and John the Baptist said, oh, I need to be baptized, not you. And Jesus says, you know, let's do the things as should be done. Or when uh, Peter came um, uh, and asked Jesus that somebody asked them to pay the tax, you know, and Jesus again said, let's do these things for the benefit of others, not that I need to do that mm-hmm. and to pay that. And when I was reading all those things and thinking, I, I was thinking be like this. The problem with circumcision was that some people took it so seriously, which they said that the salvation depends on that thing. Now, Paul started to explain that it's not true, because this, our salvation depends on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, doesn't mean that circumcision was totally uh, forbidden, mm. or was put it aside. No, things you can do, and I mentioned even last week, I mentioned that even today, some people choose to circumcise. There's nothing wrong with that. But as long as that's not a strong issue, which could be traditionally, in our churches today, if we want to make an application, sometimes we come from different backgrounds and we have different traditions and different cultural clashes. We need to be careful not to impose one among the other one or, uh, or how to say, push aside things which doesn't do anything wrong to us even if we want to keep them doing it. So, so you think true. that um, what Jeanette said earlier, the first statement she said was a situation ethics. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's statement. so true. But this introduction to the young Timothy um, is, uh, well, he's somebody that's highly recommended in Scripture, as we have already seen. Paul actually writes later, to uh, Timothy saying that he uh, that no man should despise his youth so clearly he stepped up into leadership roles in fact at one stage he served he was put in charge of a very difficult church in Ephesus and it almost led him to discouragement I think but uh, anyway now that he has joined Timothy to Paul and Timothy are together with Barnabas they plan to go to Asia And, of course, plans don't always work out as we plan them. Uh, They couldn't go to Asia, and the reason is why. Let's read it in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10, where we're introduced also to the Macedonian call. Acts 16, verses 6 to 10. Helen, you want to read that for us? Okay. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Yes. Closely working with the Holy Spirit, you'll notice in two places in this text how the Holy Spirit, it says, in one and and the Spirit of Jesus in another, 
did not allow them to proceed where they wanted to go. It, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have such a close contact with God that he could actually block the way of our bad decisions or us going to do a thing that we thought would be good? I think it's interesting, Will, that it uses, in the King James, it used the word, and they assayed. In other words, they tried to go. They yes. actually tried. Wow. But the Holy Spirit was virtually saying no. And, and I thought about that, and I thought the Holy Spirit guides us to the right place, but he also guides us away from wrong places. We need to be in tune with him. Mm. It's interesting to me that this story is is part of what we all call the second missionary journey of Paul, isn't it? Yes. And um, sometimes if you just look at the journeys on maps and you, you know, and then you read it through in the Bible, it, it could be a little bit of a travel log. But as I've been reading through Acts in the last few years, it suddenly occurred to me that there's so much in this story, so much more than we went here, we went there, we went somewhere else. And if you can learn to read between the lines there is so much direction for the church in the world today yeah. and for for individual christians probably that's the thing which we're looking at you know to see applications mm. for us for today and in regard to this uh, the holy spirit not allowing them to go yeah, we can we can think all sorts of things. How that was audible, or was just an impression, or it was just a day trying to get somewhere, and everything was just against them, you know. And Don't you wish they would have described how the Holy Spirit told yes. them not to go? It would have been very helpful. But, that's, but if if, that's if, very if that happened, if that happened though, people would think that's the way that, that we have to be aware. That's how the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. Yeah. And yet the Holy Spirit can choose to speak in different ways. Mm. But you can get locked in thinking I'm kind of glad they didn't actually say it because let's leave that to the Holy Spirit to inspire us in whichever way the thing um, is they were so in tune with the Holy yes. Spirit that they actually recognized without doubt no this isn't what we're supposed I mean, to that do was a, that's what I was going to say that everything depends on our relationship with God mm -hmm. and when we have a strong relationship with God every day you know God will show us and through whatever it's needed even if it's through a dream or to an impression or to a thought in our minds you know mm -hmm. uh, God will, will tell us what to do but when we have a strong relationship with him when it's just a casual walk with Jesus, you may not be able to depict all those uh, impressions, if you like, mm. or uh, even, I heard about even today, that they could hear a voice from God telling them things to do. I'm, I'm just sitting here jumping out of my seat here, Nick, sorry. Can I just share something very quickly? Um, spent time in Papua New Guinea. And I remember once just come home from being out in the community with another lass and I was racing off to a choir practice and I got out of the car and I was going to run up the stairs and it was like I heard this voice clearly saying, go see Ute. Now Ute was my neighbour and, and I kind of stopped in my tracks. And then I heard again, go see Ute. And I started to argue, would you believe? I'm not as obedient as these disciples. I, I hope I'm more so today. And, and I said, I've got, I've got choir. I've got to go. And I started going towards my step. And for the third time, I only heard it three times. The third time it was, go see Ute. So I said, okay, all right. So I went round and I tapped on her door very quietly because, you know, I was in a hurry, very quietly and nothing. 
and I thought that's not the right thing to do so I literally banged on her door and she opened the door and here was this woman crying and she said I prayed you would come Mm-hmm. And I was really, you know, I was quite taken aback. And she invited me and she started to share how she felt. And she was actually at the end of her tether. And I just praise God that, A, I felt that impression to go, that voice, and B, that I did obey. I, I'm hopefully now that I obey a little quick, bit quicker than I used to. But it, it does. He impresses us in different ways. Mm. So Paul sees a vision for uh, him to go to Macedonia, and I love what the text says, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia. Uh, Change of plans. And so we find Paul and Silas heeding the call to go to Macedonia, and they visit a city in Macedonia called Philippi, uh, where they would be faced with quite a few challenges. I think uh, let's read it for ourselves. Philippi (laughs) really became a... uh, a big challenge to them. Helen? Can, I, can I just interrupt one moment here? Verse 10, this came through on something I was listening to the other day. It's interesting that Luke changes his way of writing before it was, you know, Paul and they and they. And now in verse 10, he actually says, we. immediately, we, we yes. sought, which the commentators believe that this was the, the where Luke actually joined in. And then a little later, it swaps again, as though Luke came out for a while and then went back. I find that really interesting. Mm, yes. yeah. Thanks yeah, for pointing that out. It was very personal. Yes. Yes. There's a change of person writing. there. And he That's really true. knows what's going on at this yeah. point. Yes. Um, would you like Sorry. to read for us, uh, Nick, uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 13? Sure. We find Paul now on his way to um, Philippi. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the former city of the part of Macedonia colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customly made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now... Paul would normally go to a synagogue on a Sabbath, wouldn't he? Worship on a riverbank. Uh, why wasn't Paul at the synagogue if it was the Sabbath? Well, my Bible, which is the NIV, says very clearly in verse 12, from there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So I'm figuring it was a Roman colony. Romans had nothing to do with the Jewish God. And maybe it was exceptionally Roman, (laughs) so Roman that there were no, hardly any practicing Jews there. And so they may not have had the synagogue. But it's interesting to me that Paul, on the Sabbath, is trying to find a place where he can go on a place of prayer. You know, the argument sometimes is, oh, yes, Paul kept the Sabbath or preached on Sabbath because that's where everybody was in the Jewish synagogue and that would be true Um, but in this case Paul is still keeping the Sabbath day and praying on the Sabbath and when he finds the place of prayer there's some people there that he does talk to but interesting text to me. I just find it also from another viewpoint in looking at it they met with the women on the riverbank it was interesting to me to see that there was actually no men 
worshipping then and and um, I thought well that's that's very interesting the women gathered at the place of prayer um, and yet at the end of this section when he's talking to them he, he, he calls them the brethren and quite a few prominent women are mentioned in it in our stories today yes. prominent Greek women so women actually played quite a big role, role in the work of the church in That's the true. early days. I think there's just another another side to looking at it as well. If there wasn't men, um, it could well be that was why the synagogue wasn't there. Yes, it was a Roman colony, but you needed to have a minimum of 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. Correct. And it could be that there wasn't one yeah. for that. I don't know. But yeah, yes. That's a good point. That uh, mm. And even coming from um, you know Orthodox background, and I know that most of the times going to church, women were were very faithful to go to church and to express their uh, faith in, in, in God. And in this situation, I believe that there were some new converts, you know, new people who come into the, to understand the faith, and they were, uh, you know, gathering together to share their uh, beliefs. And in, in this case, as uh, Janet just mentioned, making sure that on a Sabbath day, they take time aside mm. for worshiping God. Which is actually Absolutely. borne out by Absolutely. verse 14. Mm. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. So she wasn't a Jew, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she was a worshipper of God and she was there finding a place of prayer on the Sabbath day. Yes. Is this a great lesson for us, though? Paul did not allow gender or culture to keep him from preaching the gospel, did he? Yes. He, he didn't allow that to come in at all. And God, God, as Jeanette said, God often worked through women in the church. Mm, yes. But too often we see groups that, um, you know, they either won't respect that, you know, God is using a woman or they are against the culture of some other group, uh, as the Jews were against the Samaritan. But Paul didn't show that at all. And I thought that was a great lesson too for us. Some practical lessons for us all, mm. certainly in these t in these verses. But we find them now in Philippi. Remember, they've been called to Macedonia. And uh, Philippi, Bible students will agree, really stands out in the experience of Paul because of some really tough times that happened there. Let's pick up the account. And uh, Helen, can I ask you to read Acts 16 from verses 16 to 24? Acts 16, 16 to 24. Sure. It says here, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when a master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Could we stop right there and just mm -hmm. uh, ponder for a moment, why would these evil spirits be proclaiming that they are servants of the Most High. Did you find that wondering. peculiar? <laughs> <Yes>. um, <clears throat> certainly, th th why then stop them? Surely these are then preachers of righteousness. Um, why did Paul actually stop them? Do you think? I thought. I thought about that. I thought number one, what the slave girl actually said was true. 
you yes. know, even though the source of her knowledge was a demon. And, and I thought, well, why, why did Paul get annoyed with these words? But what came was he would appear to be linking the gospel with demon-related activities exactly. if he accepted the demon's words, and it would damage his message about Christ. True. Well, I don't know. But every, every day they were going to this place of prayer, and every day she was following them, yelling this out. And finally, Paul had just had enough. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled, he turned around. He, he had enough. And I believe Paul was not against what she was saying, because as we pointed out, she said the good things uh, about them and the gospel and the uh, Lord. And I was straight away thinking of the example of Balaam, when he was <laughs> called by Balak, you know, to curse the people of God, and he find out himself blessing them. Why? Because God can use anything in his favor. Yeah. What's important, Helen, you pointed out here quite well, that um, Paul is not rejecting what she's saying, but Paul is making clear that it was an evil spirit, because this woman was also you know, doing some witchcraft. That's why her masters, you know, they, they were upset of uh, seeing that they can be cut off of that income. Yes. yes. That was Truth and evil don't mix, though, do that they? That's the problem. So just, just before we get off that point, it reminds me when Jesus w was on earth and demon-possessed people saw him and the demons cried out, we know who you are, you're exactly. the Holy One of God. Yes, um, it, it seems that in the very presence of, of God, or when the Spirit of God is present, they can't do anything but confess the truth, even though they're not on his side. So we find here that they are now in real trouble. They are dragged... Um, they dragged them to the marketplace, to the authorities, and uh, could you continue reading there, Helen, from verse sure. 20? Sure, thank you. And they brought them to the magistrates and said... These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jeweller to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. Can I I just stop there and just I was looking at this whole scene and I was thinking very interesting when you start to break it down that they were seized they were dragged to the authorities their clothes were torn off they were beaten with rogs they were imprisoned in stocks and it said in verse 24 they were imprisoned in the inner prison and I went to have a look at that and I thought what is this inner prison like and apparently when the door was shut there was no light and there was no air. They were things that were excluded. So conditions in such a cell would have been really fearful and mm. a terrible punishment, you know, that was inflicted on them. True. And God had sent an angel to say, please come over to Macedonia and help us. Don't go to this place. Don't go mm. to that place. I need you here. And you'd think that God would look after them. But instead, they were beaten and <laughs> thrown into prison and put in the stocks. Same thing, Jeanette. Uh, didn't uh, Paul receive a vision from God inviting him to work in Macedonia? It is a surprise to realize that God calling you to represent him 
and work for him doesn't fast-track you to a road of sunshine and a bed of roses always. Active Christians should learn that uh, trials and tests could disturb what they perhaps naively believed would be a peaceful walk before the Lord. Can I just bring Lord. a text in here, Will? Yeah. Job 23.10 says, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he's tried me I shall come forth as gold. So providing we continue to trust him, even down through those trials and, and the things that um, torment us, he knows. He knows the end from the beginning and he knows what is good for us and what will bring glory to him. Yes, and right at this mm -hmm. juncture I would like to say, that there are many people that are listening to our voices that really would like to serve God and then find that the going is tough. I think that uh, we should realize that uh, even in these circumstances, don't give up. Even though things take a, a wicked turn or a difficult turn for us, keep in faith trusting the Lord. In fact, uh, in the Bible case, tells us... In this case, the story wasn't over, was it? It wasn't over. God knows the end over. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And Paul and, uh, and, uh, and Silas seemed to know this because they actually sang in the jail uh, of, uh, after all of these terrible experiences. And I was going to say, uh, uh, well, about that, we can't see any signs of depression, discouragement, uh, talking back to God, saying, why you brought us here, God? They were singing and they were using that time in the most positive way possible uh, from the circumstances they were in to praise God. And I think if we will learn from that and do that, God will take us through as we never even dreamed of. Yes. And so, yeah, we find them in a, in a Philippian prison and what might look like a dead-end street turns to be a wonderful blessing. Helen, you would like to comment? Yeah, I was just thinking when I first started to get no, to know the Lord and things would happen, bad things would happen, I, I would yell at him and I'd say, why? Why, Lord? Why? And as I've got to know him more and I can look back over my past with God and I can see what he's brought out of these situations, now my cry is, why not? Why not, Lord? Because through all these things, we can be such an influence and a comfort to other people. And, and you, you think about this dungeon. They couldn't even kneel in prayer because they were chained. And yet others, others that were incarcerated with them, would have been used to hearing foul language and blasphemy and, and whining and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden, here they've got sounds of singing, hello, mm. praising God. How could they do that? And, and I think there's a lesson there for us that no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in, we can still praise God. Well, that's what Paul you know, said. Because in others in can come to Christ through our example. Sorry, Jennifer. Uh, in Philippians, Paul said that. He said, yeah. I've learned to be content no matter what state I'm in. I mm -hmm. know how to, yes. in the, um, King James, to be abased and how to abound. So, and what that implies when you say, I've been, I have learned... Mm. That implies an experience. That yes. implies a relationship with God. Mm. That, I mean, and Paul, it's obviously, he experienced God personally in many aspects. And that's why, again, if we can take another lesson here, is that if we have a closer relationship with God, then probably we wouldn't find ourselves in, in those conditions of, uh, you know, arguing against God and saying things which mm. uh, we shouldn't say. But we'll find ourselves thanking God and say, God, please help us, give us strength, uh, be with us as we go through this. 
That's true, Nick. Well, uh, can, I, can I just mention there's something that Nick said, you know, where we're arguing with God and that. I think we mentioned this a few studies ago. Even if you do argue with God and you yell at God, God loves you, listener. God loves you unconditionally. And Habakkuk, I think I mentioned before, Habakkuk was a prophet of God and yet he yelled at God. And, and God said, well, Habakkuk, hang on a minute. You don't see the whole picture. Come up the mountain and have a look. And we don't see the whole picture either. So don't think God's going to zap you. You know, he wants to have a relationship with each one of us. What, what stands out for me in the account of the Philippian jail is, is that an impossible situation, ultimately with God's guidance, turns out to be a blessing. And let the scriptures yes. actually explain that to us from verse uh, 25 to 34. Jeanette, would you like to read that for yes, us? So we'll go back to what we were just talking about. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Well, if they were locked up in an inside dungeon, they must have been singing very loudly. <laughs> Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And that's interesting to me that the moment that he believes... He's putting a meal in front of them and they're acting like family. And that was the same with Lydia. The moment that she believed, she said, come stay at my house. Yes. They all belonged to the one family. And one important thing, probably we, now we can see a clearer picture here, why Paul and Silas were suffering. Mm. Because God, through that suffering, is reaching out somebody else from their, for their salvation. Jesus Christ came to suffer that we may be saved. And he said to his disciples that you'll follow into my footsteps. People will uh, do to you everything what they've done to me. And in this case here actually was God's personal way of reaching out to that jailer and his family. Isn't yes. it interesting to see that even in the middle of Paul's suffering, he was concerned about this man's salvation, not just the salvation with Christ, but also um, saving his life because this man was going to commit suicide because the Roman law was such. Something happened to the prisoners? The, the jailer had to pay with his life. And here was Paul thinking about the very man that had thrown him into prison, into the inner cell that inflicted this um, punishment on, on Paul. The next little bit says, when it was daylight, verse 35, 
the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the order to release those men and the jailer told Paul the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released now you can leave, go in peace but Paul said to the officers they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out and so Paul isn't taking this lying down he's saying no there's been an injustice done here so even though god put him in there to to reach that jailer he was still acting by the laws of the land and saying this shouldn't have happened Mm. i find it interesting reading this account that uh, some it's curious to me that some people can be moved by a miracle like that to uh, submit to the lord and ask what must i do to be saved and yet we others might see a number of divine interventions, amazing miracles, and yet remain uncommitted to the Lord. Um, there are a lot of scripture uh, examples for that, and we probably won't have too much time. But uh, you think of the Jews in Jesus' day witnessing his miracles and uh, unmoved Judas uh, turning away from God, even Peter catching a fish, walking on water, catching a fish, a singular fish with a coin in his mouth. Um, how can you deny the Lord after that? It's, it's, it's strange to me. We do not, as we said last time, Nick, uh, base our experience or allow miracles to be the basis of our experience. We need to be like the Bereans, whom we will study soon, to base our faith on what Scripture actually says. So they're released from prison, and um, the missionaries depart from Philippi, and they make their way straight to Thessalonica, a capital city of Macedonia. And, uh, of course, there, in Acts 17, verses 1 to 9, we see how the Thessalonian Jews react to Paul's uh, successful preaching among the Gentiles. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Would you like to read that for us, Helen? Surely. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. It seems like history keeps repeating itself, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harboured them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. It seems strange that if you can't lay your hand on the ringleaders, 
uh, the followers uh, might be just as good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we suffer as uh, as um, adherence to a cause for uh, what leaders do uh, incorrectly or correctly. Like mob mentality, isn't it? It is. You know, which happens. You know, if we can't get this person, let's grab the next person. And and they seem to do this over and over. Yes. Mm. And another thing which I, I got from here, that these people of God, Paul and Silas and many others, they didn't have time to lament on the on the past experiences. They were just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And they, as you just pointed out, Helen, uh, history is just repeating again and again. But the hearts of people were touched. They never gave up, did they? And that's mm. why what it's important. And for us today, we may uh, say to ourselves, who believes today in, in God? Everyone is more um, preoccupied of the their own lives and uh, whatever, entertainment and other things. But it's not true, actually. If we do our work faithfully, trusting in God, God will reach out to those people who He knows that they are opening their hearts to receive the gospel. And and even though there's a lot of persecution happening, uh, they are greatly encouraged by the fact that there is a little group of Christians that the Bible singles out for faithfulness in their Bible study and so on. Um, Who are these Christians? They're the Bereans. The Berean Jews, yes. In comparison to the rest in Thessalonica, or the majority in Thessalonica, these people were really following the Lord closely. I think it would be valuable to read verses 10 to 15. Um, Our time is against us, but um, read uh, Acts 17, verses 10 to 15. Um, Would you like to read that for us, Jeanette? Mm -hmm. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away, I guess that's from Thessalonica, to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too agitating the crowd and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. It's a great lesson here for us, isn't it? Absolutely. They searched the scriptures daily, but they did it individually. And I think there's a good hint for us. We need to search for ourselves daily and compare what we hear. Do not take whatever somebody's telling you uh, and they're saying it's from the Bible. Go and check it out. Go and check it out. Yes. I think we um, have a lesson here. Don't just blindly believe what teachers or ministers or pastors tell us. We need to investigate for ourselves. We need to understand why we believe what we believe. I guess we do not have much time. We want to... Just in passing, Will, what do we believe? If we have to ask someone what do we believe, I don't think we believe it, do you? A a belief is something you hold yourself, and the only real way to find it is is from an authoritative source, and that's why we need to study the Bible. Today yes. asking someone else, what do I believe about so-and-so? Yes. You don't believe it if that's the way it is. True. 
a quotation that was written about a hundred years ago, I'd like to quote, where mm. the writer writes, If in the closing scenes of this earth's history, those to whom testing truths are proclaimed would follow the example of the Bereans, searching the scriptures daily and comparing with God's word the messages brought to them, there would today be a large number loyal to the precepts of God's law, where they are now just comparatively few. But we find one of the highlight experiences for Paul is when they proceed to Athens. We have just a few moments to, um, to read up on what happened there. We find them in Athens, and uh, before we, um, we talk about what he experienced, or his sermon on the Areopagus, um, we'd like to just uh, ask what was the culture or what is a, it's useful to n sketch a little background to the culture and the practice of the people of uh, around Athens and the city. We're told um, it was given over to idolatry. It was dominant, wasn't it? And also verse, 16. verse 21, it says, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And probably that's uh, our time we live in. Today, mm, yes. uh, I can't see much difference. You yes. know, people are uh, are interested in just what's new, what's new. Yes. Let's see what's on the news uh, yes. and so on. But missing out on the greatest news could possibly Ever. come true to us if we oh. have our eyes open, our ears, uh, you know, to hear and to to understand. And there are people actually spreading out the good news, the gospel. But are we hearing? I did read somewhere that there was over 3,000 statues in, in Athens, you know, to all their gods, and that one of its streets was adorned with the bust of the messenger god Hermes before every house. That was how it was. It was just so immersed, the whole city, in yeah. idolatry. And, and he'd found one statue that said to an unknown god. And then he, when he went to the Areopagus, they invited him there to the meeting, and he explained to them... He said, now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. And then he said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples. And one good lesson from here is that Paul is uh, adapting his approach to the circumstances there. Mm. And, and he starts to build from uh, where they were and starting to reveal to them what God wants uh, for them to know. And, they and that was very important, I believe. They certainly didn't like it that um, he began saying that one day in the past God overlooked all this ignorance, not knowing that, you know, that the idols weren't the real gods. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. That's in verse 31 of chapter 17. When they heard about the resurrection, some of them sneered and others said, we want to hear you again. Um, but as soon as he started talking about the judgment of the world, that was the end of what some people wanted to hear. And even though the majority will say, okay, we had enough from this, the seed was already planted mm -hmm. and there were people there who could take it at heart, you know, what he said, and that happened actually in, uh, in Athens. Mm. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. The Greek philosophical thought at the time was that uh, God is utterly separate or transcendent, not really interested in the dealings on this earth. He creates and that's it. And um, and that a person, of course, when a person dies, there's no resurrection at all, just like the Sadducees, they believed that. And so when he came in his sermon or in his speech to judgment and resurrection, that's where they cut him off. Mm -hmm. And uh, But it is, as you say, Nick, very interesting that his approach changes to suit the culture of the people. And we can remember that. Some of my friends um, in the Church of Latter-day Saints, they conduct a six-month training school for prospective missionaries to learn more about the culture, the language, the idiom, and lifestyle of the people to whom they are to be sent to witness about Jesus Christ. We need to be we need to understand the local thought and culture and idiom, of course. I went to a, a whole week of missionary training before we were sent out to the um, Solomon Islands and PNG. It was good to you know, be introduced to the cultures of the places we were going. Yes, that's right. And uh, that Paul in this lesson was willing to go through just about anything because he believed and God was really leading him, and he believed so. I think that if you're so in contact with God and so in tune with his grace, uh, you will know, you will just know in your heart that the way that you're walking is the right way. Mm -hmm. Our time, it's uh, so quickly gone. Um, just before we finish, uh, I just thought we were not able to, to get there properly. But I would like to read a couple of verses from uh, Acts 18 and verse uh, 9 and 10. We saw how uh, Paul was uh, going through all sorts of things, hardship. and uh, But these verses encourages me today. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Mm. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have my people in this city and there are so many people in our city today don't be afraid and even to our listener don't be afraid to stand up for god god will use you in a powerful way of reaching out to other people give your heart to god now and you'll experience something which you never thought of uh, excitement a relationship with god and a, a way of being useful, if you like, for this time we live in, a, we mentioned that we live in a time when people are just thinking of everything else but God. Mm -hmm. And God knew that there were many people in that city who hadn't yet found him. And he said to Paul, I want those people to know about me. Don't give up. So that encourages me for people who don't know God yet. He knows you. And if you have a heart for God and you're looking for him, he'll find you. And even young and nervous people like Timothy can be used to proclaim the gospel. God will use every means possible to bring about change and the heart that uh, is committed to him. He is there for us even in our darkest times, and isn't he? True. He he will protect us from harm and from danger. And indeed, like the apostles of old, he will deliver us 
when when it's to his glory and for our good as well let me just say that if you accept jesus into your heart you study the scriptures daily you get to know god to love him you will live life more abundantly as he's promised And panel, thank you so much for all the input uh, for today, Bible study, and Will, thank you so much for uh, taking us through this uh, wonderful uh, Bible study. I wish each one of our uh, listeners to consider to give their hearts to God and to learn more from God and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Keep listening with us and we'll come next week with another great uh, Bible study. Until then... May God bless you richly.